Welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician and CMIO and the host of CMIO Podcast. Today I have with me Dr. Neil Chawla from Wake Med, who is the CMIO there and been a friend of mine and connection of mine for many, many years. And he's a really good CMIL. So I thought it'd be great to get him on the show today. Hey, Neil, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having me, Mark. Appreciate it. Good to hear you. So, so Neil, just go ahead and give us a little bit about your background. How did you get to become a CMIO and a little bit about your journey? Sure thing. Well, uh, this definitely was not part of any type of master plan. The briefs are, I've always been kind of a, a techie nerdy dude since I was young even building computers back in my young days, thought I may end up being a computer guy all my life. And somehow I got on the med school pathway and got in and became a doc, did residency. I'm an emergency doc by background, but all the while going through med school residency, I always kind of tinkered in some different IT things. Even as we, as we put in our first EMR while I was a resident, I was probably one of the first folks to try to take clinical data out of it and see if I could do something with it. So all was tinkered and I did my first year as an attending back in 06 and kind of halfway through the year, just by chance saw an email come offering an informatics fellowship. Thought it sounded awesome and went to interview, got it, got offered. And it just, it seemed to come in a good time. I was young. I was just about to get engaged. So I had a little bit of time and I ended up going and just doing an informatics fellowship for a year up in New York City. And then I come back down to Virginia where I was practicing at the time. And we were putting in our first EMR about that time. And so it was kind of a clear and obvious choice to step into that role and help to start doing optimization projects once that EMR got in and I got back. So I started doing informatics projects and ended up doing it for about three, four years in the, down the emergency department. I'll tell you one of my, one of my favorite ones or was, I remember we had gotten a new PAC system and in our emergency department, we had three different areas and we had a PAC system in each area. And mm. when we had uh, replaced it, I kind of saw as I was going into it, there was some weird little browser that popped up and a web address and then PACs popped up. So we saw that, and but it just flashed for just a couple of seconds. So I had to do it a few times, copy that code and say, I wonder what happens if I put this in a browser. And I put it in the browser and voila, we, I had, I had packs. So we had our IT folks said, Hey, can you just put this link on, into our EMR? And we did that and instantly turned every workstation into a little packs machine in, in the ED. So had a, had just kind of a great success with that first project there, one of the first projects there. And so built on from there, just tried to keep a philosophy of better, safer, faster, and did a lot of projects. On the eve of us signing our contract with the large EHR, they hired me from the private doc side to the system side to help lead the projects to put uh, to put the EHR into our five hospitals and multiple outpatient practices. And so I ended up jumping to that side, doing it for a few years. And I got brought down here to Raleigh about two years ago. And we've been just doing optimization projects and trying to get ourselves closer and closer to leveraging data. Yeah, that story is 
really interesting because the the track towards fellowship now it's it sounds like that's going to be a, a young guy or girl's game that once you've kind of got established in family and how in the world are people going to go and do that fellowship i have no idea so i think the future of clinical informatics is going to be for young people yeah you're absolutely i think from a fellowship standpoint and it's probably for any field you go into once you get out and you taste attending life and you get used to attending life it's it would be hard to go back if you already have roots in a family and you're established. Oh, brutal. All right. Well, anyway, so we want to talk today about clinical transformation. I want to hear more about some of the cool things you're doing there at WakeMed. And if you could kind of highlight as CMIO how much you are either leading or how much someone else is leading and you're supporting, I'd be interested to know your role as this thing goes forward. Yeah, that's a great question. And I'd say partnership is probably the best word, both doing some leading and some supporting and definitely working closely with our, our chief medical officer. I think that's where we're seeing the closest partnership right now. Um, to talk a little more about where clinical transformation is coming from and where we're seeing it right now is down here, we're about five years stable on five years live on in a large EHR and we're stable right now and we're doing optimization projects and we're doing pretty decent, I think. We're also cleaning up a ton of the clutter that probably anybody has in the big EHR system. And I think you can spend 10 to 15 years just cleaning up some of the clunk from these systems and trying to make them better. At the same time, we also know we didn't buy these large EHR systems just so we can clean up clunk for 10 to 15 years. We really bought it to try to, to leverage the technology and see if we can do more and improve ourselves. And so we're also finding that data is hard. And just because we have a system and just because we got data going into a system, it doesn't mean it's easy to get that data out of the system. And so we're definitely trying to look at our capabilities, our data going in and figure out how do we, number one, get data into the system in a good way that it can come out. And two, have the real capabilities to take data out in, in the right way. And we don't want data for data's sake. We don't want to mature our capabilities for the sake of maturing our capabilities. And as we've researched and studied and try to figure out why do we want to really leverage our data and what do we want to do, we're really focused in at this point on clinical transformation and what we've seen some other systems get to where we really want to get to measurable outcomes as the real bottom line and say, hey, can we combine our quality and our finance together and be able to make interventions and do projects where we can really capture what is our improvement or what, what is our measurable outcome in terms of are we saving lives and are we reducing our costs, knowing that those are two big things that we all need to do around the country to do what's best for our patients, as well as keep ourselves sustainable financially over the next years. Interesting point that you made that you're trying to use the EMR to do something meaningful because the class surveys are saying that most docs aren't feeling that the EMR is helping them change care, that quality isn't changing because of the EMR. What Can you give me an example of, of where you're making a difference, somewhere where you have, maybe if you, even if you don't have the outcome yet, but the process has changed where you think it's going to make a difference? 
I do, I think. So I'll, I think Cotty is an area I think we've done pretty well in, in the last year or two. And I think there, so I, I guess where I'll start off is I think all those physicians who say the EHR isn't helping them, I think in many ways they're correct. And I think on that day-to-day -day basis, the amount of time spent clicking and typing in keys is something that folks see often as waste and burden. And I can understand that. I still practice clinically. And so I do feel the, the pain and you, you pay the keyboard price. And so <laughs> I do understand that on a day-to-day -day basis, especially if these are the keystrokes and the mouse clicks aren't leading to something bigger and better. I think to get back to, to Cotty, I think we as informaticists often take that people process technology philosophy and say, hey, here's how we can do better and here's how to make the tech work for us. So we wanted to decrease our Cotties. And one of the pieces we, we came across is good urine culture stewardship on when do we send off a urine culture and when are we m much more likely to just get colonization not an infection and kind of, but, but then have to head down the infection pathway, give an antibiotic that's probably not needed and get dinged when it's probably not a true infection. So we've tried to put in good stewardship policies or practices to say, Hey, here's when you should order a urine culture. And when we may be helping a patient and here's where you're more likely going to, going to just have a false answer. And so we didn't just throw an, an alert out there and say, hey, let's just throw an alert out there and hope that people read this box, change their practice, and we all of a sudden decrease our, our cauties. We Instead, we've had a great multidisciplinary team who was able to come up with some sound logic, some sound education, and really go on a good roadshow to really communicate, educate, and really make sure folks can engage and align and understand why, hey, this actually may make some good sense to, to start practicing this way and standardize a practice this way. At the same time, we, we did, did do an alert in, in the end, but it was to support that education and communication. And then on the back end, we didn't just stick an alert into the system and forget about it and say, well, I hope it works. But instead, we kind of had the good process there to say, let's now track this alert Who's getting it? What are folks doing with it? Where can we follow up with folks, educate, understand if there are reasons that folks are overriding things? When is it appropriate? When is it not, not appropriate? But we put a whole project around something. We didn't just throw tech at it. And so I think having that people process technology with a good way to be able to capture data, report on data, and do something with it, we've actually been able to see both our our cardio rate come down, as well as be able to watch, is there any harm happening to patients and, or are we, are we practicing safely? And obviously we did a, a lit review before we did something like this and we watched closely after, and we found that patients are safe. We're not harming patients. We're not causing any morbidity, mortality, but at the same time, our infections are coming down. We're not using as many antibiotics and we're actually improving care. And so I think that's maybe an example of a bit of that transformation and really using people process tech and using data uh, with, with a good process to, to really improve an outcome. 
So one of your lines here was, you pay the keyboard price. I'm, I'm going to steal that from you. I'll give you attribution on one day when I'm out speaking somewhere, and, <laughs> and I need that quote, but that I love it. You pay the keyboard price. So are you focusing more inpatient, ambulatory? Where's transformation taking place in your organization? Hey, if I, if I could dwell on the keyboard price for a second, and then I'm going to answer uh -huh. that question, if that's sure. okay. Uh -huh. well, did you trademark it already? No, I didn't trademark it. I, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw it somewhere else. I didn't make it up myself. Uh. Um, All right, go ahead. So when you give the attribution, it doesn't have to be me because I don't think it was from me originally. But I think it's, it's an important because I think we can all agree that discrete data is probably better from an ability to use data. However, I think what we know is the folks who are often putting in that data are not the ones who are using that data. And so I think they really feel that price of they're doing the extra clicks and strokes, keyboard strokes to put that in. And it's costing them some extra time. It's costing them time away from patient care because these are usually frontline folks and they're not the ones using the data. And often they may not be the ones seeing any benefit from the data. So I, I think they do feel like they are paying that price. And so it is reasonable to think about when do we want discrete data and when is it reasonable to pay that price and when does it not matter as much? And when do we not have to pay that price because we're not going to use that data? So apologies for dwelling for a second, no, it's but great. I do think it's an important concept. To answer your other question on the, the site of care. So I, my role is all the settings here in, in our health system. So we have inpatient ED ambulatory, and we're still maturing on data and we're probably earlier in our journey on regarding clinical transformation, but we've started to do some projects and we're definitely rapidly or as rapidly as reasonably possible working to try to mature our data capabilities so that we can do more of these projects and really have that infrastructure, especially the ability to look at cost and quality together. I was going to ask, so are you talking about cost of care, the genuine cost accounting cost of care, not just charge of care? Yeah, I, I think we need to start looking more and more at cost as the world moves from fee for service to fee for performance. And we as providers and health systems take on more and more and more risk. The charge is one thing, but I think the cost is something that number one, we have to be able to know what it is ourselves. And really it's a better marker. And again, now this, this is someone who's not a financial guy. So I probably don't know either super deeply, but cost seems to be a truer estimate, especially if we understand our own in more of a fee for, for value world. Does analytics report to you for you to be able to do this transformation work? It does currently. So what does that look like in your system in terms of the we're talking about data scientists or data architects or a couple of analysts running around with some Excel worksheets. Paint the picture for us. Yeah, so we've got a small team right now. And right now we do not have any data architects. We've, and it's only in the past, probably a, a bit over a year, we've really tried to focus in and hone in and really say, hey, where are we with our data capabilities? What do we have to do to really start maturing and, and really start moving up the maturity map. And so we've got a director and a manager, and we've got about, about 10 
analysts on, on our data team. Some are doing reporting, mostly from Epic, but from other places too, a little bit. And then some are doing the ETLs or creating extracts, working in SQL. We've, and, and then I would also say that 100% of the data coming out of our system is not coming from our enterprise team. There are some other small data teams around our system who do great work. Our financial folks do, they've been working with data for years and our strategy folks, some folks in HR, some folks in other clinical departments. We do have folks around the system who know data and we're trying to work to figure out what is that best, what's the best relationship between our centralized and decentralized teams so that we can all work together best. But to, to, and, and to paint the picture, at least from an enterprise team, we're about 10 people deep right now with thinking that we, we likely will have to grow over time as we get more mature, as we start to leverage more data and can show more value from leveraging data. How does a transformation project come to life in your system? Is it you come up with the idea and go, we're going to go save the world, or is there grassroots desire to change the way we're doing care coming from the docs that they're bringing forward and you're supporting that? It's both. I think, I think historically it's been more the, from the docs or, or from docs or other folks coming up to us. At the same time, as we're maturing our data capabilities, we might have some more strategy coming from the top, if, if you will. I think as we better understand where are our biggest opportunities and where should we focus? I, I think we are creating a governance group of our senior executive leaders, and we expect some of the projects to, to and priorities to come from them. So I, I think in the end, it'll be a bit of a mix. I think it's great to have our front lines be the ones to, to give us projects. That's a big part of clinical transformation and really getting everyone into that improvement mindset and culture of, hey, I've got a great idea. I'd love to do this. And from my own standpoint, I want us to have that infrastructure to be able to one, change and adopt new changes and two, be able to have, be able to measure both quality and finance. So I think those frontline projects are awesome projects. At the same time, I think a, a balance is always where you find the greatest results. I think also knowing where do we have some of our, our, our biggest issues? Where do we need to concentrate on from a, whether it's CMS measures or other, but really have a good executive governance to also make sure that we're representing organization priorities as well. Is that provider-led governance or is there a COO or someone else running that? Yeah, so I think the better we work as teams and as multidisciplinary teams, the more successful we're, we're all going to be. I think if it's one or, or one or the other leading and leading too much, I, I think we'll end up siloing ourselves. So right now, the governance we're starting is going to include our chief medical officer, our chief nursing officer, our chief financial officer, and likely one of the senior leaders of our uh, physician practice. So it'll definitely be a, a multidisciplinary team from both our clinical and business side with many folks supporting. I have heard in systems, and I'll, I won't mention the names to protect the guilty, but where the admin side 
is behind the scenes saying this is clinical transformation, but it's really financial transformation, what they're looking for. And what happened was the chief quality officer quit went somewhere else because he could tell, he could smell it, that this really wasn't about the clinical quality care. How do you tackle that issue? Yeah, so I think we, we here at Wake Med have a very clear mission. And we know that our patients and our families are on top of our pyramid. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing what we want to do. That's what we're doing, what we're doing. Financially, is are the finances important? Yes, they're important to keep us afloat. They're important because we want to do this for a long time. But it's not number one. Number one is, is our patients and families. And we want to do the right thing for our patients and families. So I think from that standpoint, I, I do believe we have a clear mission on what is most important to us. And I think we're all careful not to blur that picture. That also, I, I do think that is what keeps us as clinicians motivated. Our sense is not that, hey, we want to do projects to make a health system a ton of money. I think our motivation and the reason we're doing what we want to do is we want to do things to improve our patient outcomes and have a healthy community where we live. And so I think that is something that resonates with hopefully you, definitely myself and mm -hmm many of the clinicians and even many of much of our administration too. I think it's, it's embraced by all. I think that the systems that are doing it really well is that what you described in the beginning of that partnership where you understand that you're trying to improve the clinical care and you got to pick your project so that there's going to be financial stability over the long run. So you can do both. You can actually change the course of care clinically for the better and do you make it so that there's a cost savings or improvement, whether it reduces length of stays or whether it's just preventing someone from getting sick and being readmitted? That's good for the patient. And it also has financial benefits. So I, I think you're right on that. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And mm -hmm. I've heard nothing else but exactly what you're saying. As we focus on doing the right thing for patients and keeping our patients healthy and improving care, then the dollars will follow to keep us sustainable. One of the challenges other CMIOs have had with clinical transformation is a data literacy problem in the periphery that they really want those grassroots physicians who are seeing it on the front lines or even nurses or respiratory therapists. Someone who's close to the action is seeing something like, I know we could do this better and bringing that idea forward, but they have no access to data. They don't understand the data. They don't uh, know the data definitions that the system's using. How have you been able to tackle data literacy? Yeah, so I think we're, I'd say we are tackling it and we do understand it. It's a need. I'll tell you, Mark, I read a, uh, I read an interesting article a while back that, and th this is even outside of healthcare, but really even saying, hey, our kids in high school, we've been teaching them trigonometry and algebra and calculus for years and years and years and years. And once you get out there, how valuable is that skill? Really what we should be doing is, in, at least in their junior, senior year of high school, let's flip them to statistics and probability and really get them to understand data because that's going to be much more practical as they get out into the real world and, real, and have careers. And where, a bit, where that's coming from is the reason data literacy, I think, is such a concept is because most of us going through life, through high school, may be the last time any of us had real deep math type classes. And if, if your med school was like mine, I think we did a, a flyby statistics course in two or three months and that was all we had. 
So I think the, the gap between what people learn just going through life, through school, and what people actually need to use data well in their job, there's a gap there. And I think that's why I do believe data literacy is, is so important. And I mean, Lord knows it's, it's easy for two people to look at the same data and come up with different conclusions. It's easy for folks not to see the right context. There's, there's many reasons why it's data can be deceiving and data, bad data is sometimes worse than no data because you're making a decision based on something you think you've proven when, when actually you, you haven't. So I'd say for all those reasons, data literacy is real important. Are there any tools that you're using in this transformation process in terms of lean methodologies or PDSA or uh, failure mode analysis? What, what do you use to just to start? How does someone get started in transformation? That's a great question. We're definitely, we use lean methodology here and we do do PDSAs and we've got a great Kaizen promotion office who really both educates and works with us to really instill those improvement principles here. The best way I've heard it and seen it and what we're trying to emulate is kind of a, a three-pronged approach to measurable improvements. One being, let's find those best practices out there that we want to standardize and scale. And so point one is finding those best practices. Point two is having that process improvement methodology, whatever it is, whether it's Lean Six Sigma, some kind of hybrid or something else, but having a good process improvement methodology so that folks are able to engage a line and adopt those best practices. And then kind of the third piece is the data component. Do we have that data to say, one, we're doing what we said we're gonna do, and then two, are we improving our outcomes and can we measure that? And so that's where process improvement fits and why I think you kind of do need that three-pronged approach. Yeah, that makes sense. Just curious, have you gotten any of the, the belts, the white, yellow, green, or whatever black belts for Lean Six Sigma type training? Is that, is that something CMIOs should pursue in your mind? I have not gotten that. And... I, it's a great question. I mean, I think there's only upside. There's no downside as long as you have the time. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. It hasn't been high on my radar to to pursue more formal education um, down a process improvement certification. I have thought about getting some f- more formal data training to get myself smarter on, on that side as a, from a, with a CMIO hat to be able to, whether it's understand SQL better or just understand data structures better, or understand how do I interpret some of the results we're seeing, having an understanding. And I think going forward, a better and better understanding of the interpretation of data, especially once health systems are able to mature their capabilities so that we, we have clean data and we trust their data and we're spitting it out and trying to figure out, okay, now what does it actually mean? Neil, it's been a great conversation. I want to respect your time. I told you I wouldn't keep you more than a half hour here. But if people wanted to reach out to you, follow up more, learn about, or just bounce a question off of you for you're trying to start a clinical transformation thing, could they reach out to you on social media? You follow you on any of those sites? Not an issue at all, Mark. I'm always happy to, to share. I think we're here because we want what's best for our patients, number one, in our community, and two, around our country and the world. So if I have any knowledge that can help 
others take better care of their patients, I'm happy to share because Lord knows the amount of people I've talked to, to learn all the things I've learned. It's so much of it has been folks who've just been nice enough and I think have the right philosophy at heart to share. So absolutely. Well, we appreciate you sharing some of your knowledge with us today here at uh, CMIO Podcast. I think this has been a great exposure to just what a real work in CMIO is doing to try to make things better in their system. So uh, thanks again for coming on the show, Neil. Sure thing, Mark. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And I, I hope this could be helpful to anyone. And I hope I always, I'm always worried if I'm just a, uh, a dumb, simple caveman, which I know I often am. <laughs> That's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. I've been your host, Mark Weissman. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at cmiopodcast at gmail.com. Go to the website at cmiopodcast.com. Send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.